Morning, familia. I get scared there for a second. Could you please stand? We're going to for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence. We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 5 from verses 27 to 37. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 37. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble... Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. How about if we read verse 37 together? All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, before we start, I want to remind you, if you are walking, if you're carrying with you one of these little booklets... If you want to take notes, you could go to page 23. There you have room to take notes. If you look at the pages that follow that, these are the, the questions that we use in our life groups. So if you are not part of our life group, that's an invitation for you to consider that. If you had one of these and you lost it, or you just don't like to carry things like this, you don't have to worry. Because we have an app in which you could find not just the sermon, but the notes and a place with the questions. So please uh, download it on your phone because you guys are all modern people. Uh, and you can use it in the sermon even to take notes. Amen? All right, so today we continue with our series, Upside Down Kingdom. And today we're talking about commitments. Uh, in my opinion, this is one of the most important concepts uh, that define Christian marriage. And it's actually, in my opinion, one of the most important concepts that define what Christianity is all about. In other words, there is no healthy marriage without the word commitment. And there is no Christianity, actually, without the word commitment. So if you are here today and you are married this is for you. So you have to pay attention and you have to take notes as much as you can understand. 
But if you are here and you are not married, it doesn't matter. Because this is all about Christianity, so just pay attention and take notes. And I'm asking the text three questions. Question number one, what does commitment, uh, where does commitment come from? Question number two, how do we know that we practice in commitment? And question number three, where do we get the power to be able to be people committed? Question number one, where does commitment come from? How do we know that we're practicing uh, commitment? And where do we get the power to be able to do this? Let's go with the first question. Where does commitment come from? Now, the way I'm going to deal with this text is from the bottom up. So we're first going to look at verses 33 to uh, 36. Because I think that this is the part where it's going to allow us to understand the first part of the text. The reason why I'm saying that is because the bottom part of the text we read, verses 33 to 36, uh, Jesus there is talking about integrity. He's talking about being truthful, and he's talking about being faithful. And what I think what Jesus is doing there is telling us that if you want to be a person of commitment, if you want to be committed to something, you better understand and apply the concept of integrity. Without integrity, commitment is simply impossible. And I will show you that in a second. Now, as you can see, Jesus in this text uses three words or three phrases that are kind of synonyms. He uses the word oath. He used the word vows. And he says, he uses the phrase Swear an oath. So this is the idea that Jesus is bringing to us today. That whenever you make an oath, whenever you make a vow, whenever you swear an oath, you are committing yourself to something. You are making a promise and you should not or cannot break that promise. That's the whole idea behind those three words. For Jesus, his church supposed to be a group of people that practice integrity in everything they say and do, that are truthful to everything they say and do, that they're faithful in everything they say and do. Basically, Jesus is saying that if you commit to something, you better follow through. That if you say that you're going to do something, you must do it. And that if you're not willing and that you should never be willing to compromise beliefs and convictions for anything and anybody. Integrity. And that's the reason why I had you read verse 37 with me. Because there Jesus says, all you need is to say simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. That's a very... I would say confrontational and a little bit harsh for Jesus to say that. Because this is basically what Jesus is saying. If we are not people of integrity, we are behaving the way the devil behaves. He is not saying that when we behave that way, we are the devil. What he is saying is that we are behaving the way the devil behaves. And if you think that's offensive... You have to remember this, converse, this conversation Jesus has with Peter in Matthew chapter 16. This is a very interesting 
text there because Jesus, Peter had just confessed, publicly confessed that Jesus was the Messiah. Right after that, Jesus says that he's about to go to the cross to die and that later on he's going to resurrect. And Peter hears this. And listen, Peter is a good man. He's a man that loves the Lord. But he's a man that forgot who was God and who was not. So he tries to stop him. And he says to Jesus, may this never be. But listen to the words of Jesus. To his beloved Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Isn't that offensive? It's supposed to be offensive unless you enjoy people calling you the devil. But look to the reasoning here. It says, you are a stumbling block for me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Can you see it? Can you imagine what would it be if Peter was one of those sensitive guys? Can you imagine if it was me, I would have gone to Jesus and said, you know what, forget you, Jesus, trying to help you here. But not Peter. Because Peter recognized that his behavior was not godly. It was devilly. I just made that up. I just made that up. <laughs> it's not an accent thing. It's just, I just made it up. <laughs> what Jesus is saying is that lack of integrity is ungodliness. Lack of truthfulness is ungodliness. Lack of faithfulness is ungodliness. Because we are behaving in a way that does not honor God. Now, there's a pastor and an author from Dominican Republic. His name is Miguel Nunez. He wrote this book called Living with Integrity and Wisdom. And it's a very interesting book because he says that integrity is foundational for our character. Actually, he says this, that if we neglect integrity, eventually that will lead us to neglect all other values. And I quote, the understanding and practice of integrity have monumental consequences in our daily lives. As individuals, we have different types of values for which we are governed. But integrity is what will allow us to live in a manner consistent with other values we have decided to embrace. When we don't consider integrity as something valuable, non-negotiable, sooner or later, our lack of integrity will end up violating each of the other values we say we have. This is a problem because we do, um, this is a problem because what we do, what we do not value, we negotiate and eventually easily abandon. Integrity is the value that guarantees all other values. Isn't that crazy? Jesus says we are, if we are not people of integrity, truthfulness, faithfulness, we will end up compromising everything else. 
Now, you got to remember the context here because Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he is about to send them into the world as light and salt. And what Jesus is actually saying is that unless the disciples are people of integrity, they won't make it. That if you and I are not people of integrity, we won't make it. That unless our yes is yes and our no is no, we won't make it. If we don't learn how to practice this, eventually we will compromise beliefs and we will be easily influenced by society. That's how radical this thing is. I find this topic to be comp- is so crucial today. So important today. It's something that the church needs to remember and needs to practice. Because our society suffers from lack of integrity. Our institutions lack from uh, integrity. Our politics have been affected by this. Our churches have been affected by this. Our individuals have been affected by this. We desperately need to go back to the concept of integrity. If you actually pay attention to our history, the history of the United States, behind everything that goes wrong, you would always find a person or a group of people that compromised integrity. It has always been that way. It would always be that way. This is why this is so important to us. Actually, I want to give you two reasons why I think that we ought to take this serious. Number one is because integrity keeps you fighting from the tendencies of your heart. Integrity keeps you fighting against the sinful tendencies of your heart. The tendency for many of us, including the preacher here today, is that we tend to show something externally that is not the same as the things that we have internally. That there's this tendency to manage what people think of us. That's the reason why, and I mentioned this before in one sermon, that's the reason why I think that social media became so popular. Because it is so easy for you to manage what people think of you. And this is the joke that I make all the time. I've never seen anybody post a picture when they first got up in the morning. Because we all look terrible. I never seen anybody posting a quote about the stuff that you're thinking about or the struggles you have. We usually post something else. We pretend to be something else. And the reason why we do that is because deep down inside, we do not like the way we are. If not, you will show it. Deep down inside, we prefer to project something We are not. I'm not the first person talking about this. Because none of my ideas are original to begin with. Blaise Pascal, which was a French theologian in the 1600s, he used to talk about this all the time. And I want you to hear what he would say. We are not satisfied with the life we have in ourselves and in our own being. We want to lead an imaginary life in the the minds of other people. And so we make an effort to impress. 
we constantly strive to embellish and preserve our, our imaginary being and neglect the real one. You know what he's saying? That it's much easier to wear a mask than to allow yourself to be honest with yourself and honest with others. Integrity is crucial. You need to pay attention to integrity because that's the only way you're going to deal with the stuff in your heart. Every time you are tempted to compromise something, every time you are tempted to pretend something, every time you are tempted to try to fix something so you look better, every time to try to fix something so we don't get in trouble, you must ask the question, why am I being tempted to do this? So we're going to use as an example here, lying. Because I personally believe that this is one of the areas in which most of us, including me, struggle with. And I'm borrowing this from Tim Keller. He says that there are six kinds or six types of lies. And what I want you to do is use this as an assessment, okay? And if you hear that one of these applies to you, raise your hand. And we're all going to look at you for a second, <laughs> all right? No, please don't do, but at least ask the question. Do I do that? And why do I do that? So he says that one of the lies that we use is what he calls political lies. What he means by that is when we say, for example, someone invites you to go somewhere, and you will say something like, I, I would love to go, but you know what? I'm going to be out of the city that day. And he says, that's a political lie. And his lack of integrity. He talks about exaggerations. And this is going to apply for those of you that are married specifically. Pay attention here, okay? You never help me in a house. You are always late. You never understand me. You always do the same thing. Never? Always? And it sounds like a, such a tiny thing. But it's lack of integrity. Because you know that that's not true. He talks about word inflation. Oh, that was wonderful, Hannibal. It was an incredible sermon. What a blessing. When we all know that it wasn't. See, that doesn't help me. That's lack of integrity. He talks about the so-called benevolent lies. When you don't tell people the truth because you don't want to hurt them. So how, how many of you guys ever watched the show American Idol? All right? Sometimes, man, I see that show and I see these little kids that think they could sing. And they come and perform in front of millions of people. And they're awful. And all I'm thinking about when I see these young people is like, didn't they have parents? <laughs> didn't they have a friend? Well, it's just lack of integrity. 
It is much better to hurt a person now than he looks like a fool later on. He talks about the Watergate lies. When we say something to cover up something else. He talks about the routine business lies. And I find this one super interesting because I see this all over the place. Not treating people with equality is lack of integrity. Having preferences is lack of integrity. Inflating numbers. Churches suffer from this, goodness sake. Saying that everything is okay when not everything is okay. Lack of integrity. These are the waters in which we swim. And the only way we're going to get to fight against this is when we make a strong commitment to integrity, faithfulness, and truthfulness. Either you kill this or this is going to kill you, John Owen would say. Either you kill your sin or your sin is going to kill you. We need integrity because that's how we fight our tendencies. The second reason why I think that we need integrity is because without integrity, we could never commit to anything. No integrity, no commitment. So let me put it this way. If you are not committed to truthfulness in all the minor areas of your life, in all the private areas of your life, you will not be faithful in the major and public areas of your life, like marriage. It is foolish to think that I'm going to be faithful out here when I cannot be faithful in here, when no one sees what I'm doing. So if you're married... And you want integrity in marriage, you need integrity in your private life. You need integrity in the stuff that you see online. You need integrity in the conversations you have. You need integrity in the way you work. If you don't know how to do it there, I find it really hard for someone to be faithful in marriage, which is a much... It demands more of you. And if you're not married, and let's say that you're planning to get married, you got to learn how to practice integrity in all the minor and private things of your life. Nothing guarantees that you're going to be faithful later on. Jesus is so serious about this. Jesus is extremely serious about this. Remember what Nunez said, integrity is the value that guarantees all other values. It doesn't matter if people see you or don't see you. That's question number one. What does commitment require? And the answer is integrity, a heart of integrity. Question number two is, how do we know that you're practicing it? And from verses 27 to 32, this is when Jesus is going to apply integrity to marriage. Um, and it's super interesting here because he talks about marriage, divorce, and adultery. Um, and he's, look at how he starts here in verse 27. He says, you have heard that it was said 
you shall not commit adultery. Now, he starts saying that is because he knows that everyone in front of him, his audience, knew what marriage was all about. He knows that his uh, audience have an understanding of what marriage is supposed to be. Every single one of them knew that marriage is an oath. That marriage is a promise. That marriage is a vow. This is how we make the connection between point number two and point number one. All these people knew that. The problem, though, with the people here is that they were given a different definition. So in their tradition, people knew that marriage was for one man and one woman in which they committed to one another, to love one another, to serve one another, to stick around with one another until death set you apart. In other words, people knew that because marriage is an oath or a vow, it could never be a contract. You know the difference between those two, right? An oath or a vow is a one-way commitment. A contract requires 50% and 50%. In a contract, you say, I'm going to stick around with you as long as you do this, this, and that. That's a contract. But marriage has never been like that. That's one of the reasons why when I officiate uh, weddings, which I do that uh, actually pretty often, and the, the couple, which is usually the younger people, so nothing personal, just pay attention, okay? Um, usually the younger people say, hey, can we write our own vows? And I always say, yeah, for sure. Write whatever you want. But after you say your vows, you're going to repeat the traditional vows of marriage. And they say, Why? And I say, because you guys talk about things that has nothing to do with marriage. <laughs> oh, you have no idea how much I love you. Right after they do that, I come back and I say, all right, now repeat what I'm going to say. I take you to be my husband and wife, or wife. I have to have you and to hold you from this day forward. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish you. As long as we both shall live to this, I pledge myself, truly with all my heart. There's not one word there's not one word there that talks about a contract. There's not one word there that hints to the idea of a contract. Now, this is the original design for marriage. And Jesus' audience knew that. Oh, but here comes the religious leaders, inspired by God, and they give this different definition about the integrity in marriage. And this is how they did it. This is crazy, people, because history repeats itself. So pay attention here. They told married men that it was okay for them to have intimacy with someone that it was not their wife. But that as long as that woman was not married... It was okay. Don't you find that crazy? 
That has a bunch of different issues there. Number one, they're not protecting the sanctity of marriage. They were not protecting the sanctity of marriage. Number two, they have walked away from the original design of marriage. Number three, move this here. They were treating men and women differently. Because the Bible shows us that whenever a woman would do that, she will get executed right away. But not the men. And number four, they were not protecting the dignity or the value of the wife. That's crazy. And they thought they were good people. Because they prayed, they memorized the scripture, they came to church, they gave money, they served, they went to Awana, they did all of that stuff. And Jesus is about to change that with one verse. One verse alone. Verse 28, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is crazy because the word lustfully there is the word epithomeo. And I'm not saying that because it's a cool word. I'm saying it because that word is much more than just having intimacy with someone that is not your spouse. Listen to the definition. It is to strongly desire. Did you shut this one off? Can you turn it on again? From back here? Nope. All right. To a strongly desire to have what belongs to someone else and or to engage in an activity which is morally wrong. Notice the emphasis is to desire. It's to desire something that doesn't belong to you. Even if the person is not married, that person eventually will belong to somebody else. So this is what Jesus is saying. You are committing adultery, not just because you have intimacy with someone that is not your wife or your husband, which is morally wrong, but you are committing adultery because you are desiring a woman that is not your wife. And he says, if you want integrity in marriage, don't just look at the things you do or don't do. Look at your heart. Look at your motivations. Look at the intentions of your heart. Look at your desires. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says that wherever your treasure is, your heart is, your treasure is. If you want to know what you truly love, Look at what you treasure. If you want to know if you are actually a person of integrity, you got to look at the things you treasure. Jesus is not playing around with these people. Jesus is serious about this. He is so serious that in verse 30, 29 and 30, he says that if your eye causes you to stumble... Take it out. And that if your hand, your right hand causes you to stumble, take it off. So, of course, Jesus is not calling us to mutilation there. 
This is hyperbolical language. This is to give us this idea that this is serious. That we ought to do whatever is necessary to walk in integrity. To be truthful. To be faithful. John Stott, in his commentary of this passage, says that Jesus here has something that is very practical. Look at what he says. If your eye causes you to sin, don't look. That's simple. If your foot causes you to sin, don't go. If your hand causes you to sin, don't do it. It would be foolish for us to think that we can deal with the stuff in our hearts if we are not careful with what we see, the places we go, and the things we touch. You won't be able to deal with the monster inside your heart unless you, are, you have a radical commitment. John Stott calls this a ruthless moral self-denial. It requires that much. So the first question was, where does commitment come from? And we learned that commitment comes from integrity. The second question was, is how do we know that we practice in it? Well, look at the desires of your heart. And question number three is, where do we get the power to be able to live in integrity? Now, I'm going to be really clear about this one, and I really need you to pay attention here. If your heart is the problem, if your desires is the problem, you have a major issue because you cannot get rid of your desires. If you want a hamburger, it's not enough to say, I don't want a hamburger. The only way we deal with our desires is to desire something much more than the thing that you desire now. You cannot get rid of your desires. Desires could only be replaced. So the question is, what is that? Or even better, who is that? And of course the answer is Jesus. It is only when we desire Jesus more than anything else. It is only when we treasure Jesus more than anything else. It is only when we embrace Jesus and we see him as much better, more beautiful, much bigger, more fulfilling, more satisfying than anything else. That your sinful desires must submit to that. It is only when you understand that Jesus actually lived the life that no one has lived. He was a man of faithfulness. He was a man of truthfulness. He was a man of integrity, even when he cost them his life. It is only when you look at Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, because he had to die. And the reason why he had to die is because there's not one person in this room that has not been an adulteress in his heart or her heart. Not one person. There's not one person in this room that has lived a life of full integrity at all times. There's not one person in this room that has been completely faithful. There's not one person in this room 
who has not worn a mask before other people. Jesus had to die. And when we treasure him, that's the only way we could fight against our own desires. Actually, when you think of Jesus, you got to think in terms of marriage. You got to think in terms of a covenant or a vow. Romans 8, Jesus, uh, Paul says that there's nothing. Can you say nothing? There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what the word nothing means? Nothing. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. It is almost as if Jesus is telling us from the cross or repeating from the cross the vows that we want to hear. I take you as my brother and sister to have you and to hold you from this day forward for better and for worse when you're doing good and when you're doing really bad. For richer, for poorer, when you have a lot and you have nothing. In sickness and in health to love you and to cherish you as long as you shall live. Today, tomorrow, next year, and eternity. To this I pledge myself truly with all my heart. That's the most romantic thing you can hear. And Jesus said that, nailed to a cross. Do you have that? Do you believe that? Do you know why we stumble? Because we cease to believe. Did you know that the word stumble in the original means exactly that? Cease to believe. 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 Look at the cross and believe. Why should we live lives of integrity? Because he's worth it. Because I want to be like him. Because I want to adorn him. Because I want to show gratitude toward him. That's why we live lives of integrity. Because he's worth it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you take us to the cross and you leave us there. Lord, as I mentioned before, none of us here has lived the life that we're supposed to live. We all deserve your punishment, and yet Jesus, the, the one that never lacked integrity, the one that is faithful, went for me, took my place, and saved me. And out of that, Lord, I want to live a life of integrity. And out of that, Lord, we want to live lives of integrity. Please make it happen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, Amen. can you please stand? And before we receive the benediction that Jesus Christ guarantees for us, let me tell you, let me just ask a question and you don't have to answer. Just listen to the question. 
What has the power to change people like nothing else? And the answer is love. Next week, we're going to be talking about the difference between love and hate. So please come back and invite someone to hear that sermon. Let's receive the blessing that Jesus guarantees for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And the church says, have a blessed day. We love you. Thanks for coming.